Welcome to Igniting Your Faith. Today, Pastor Fisher reminds us to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the only true answer and love for all of us. We encourage you to thoughtfully and prayerfully let God's love make an impact in your life. Now here is Dr. Chris Fisher with today's message of powerful truth from God's Word. Well, today's message is about the problem of evil. More specifically, how can I, you and me, resist evil? And to truly overcome the evil out there, and you know there's plenty of it, we really have to know how to conquer it in here, in ourselves. The answer to this question, how can I resist evil, it really begins with understanding our human situation. How did evil come to be? The kind of evil you see every day in the news, evil treatment of one person by another or one group of people by another group. Things like theft and murder, kidnapping, torture, betrayal, broken promises to terrorist attacks, genocides, and war. The inner sins of evil like hatred and fear and lust and envy and anger and lack of self-control, laziness. Where do all these things come from that wreck human life? Why, Why are we human beings like that? Why do we commit all these evil and selfish acts against one another? You know, some religions of the world say that evil's an illusion. Others say that it's all God's fault, that everything happens meticulously according to his will. And so both, both good and evil are all on him. But Christianity really has a different picture of evil and where it comes from. And to understand that picture, we've got to go back to the beginning, to our creation. The opening chapters of the Bible. And they describe God who's the source of everything that is making the world and making it good at the end of each day when you read the creation account. And if you see that as sort of like a a broad bird's eye view of the whole creation process, he says at the end of each day, this is good. And at the end of the sixth day, which represents this span of unknown time in which God has created all things, he says of human beings, the last creature made, that's made to look like him, This is very good. And so he makes the world good and he made human beings good. And he gave them an almost limitless array of good things to enjoy and do. Commanding them to represent him in the world as its masters and and homemakers. To turn the world into a home, a garden. A place where the human race would be at home and they would be in charge. And representing him rule over earth and all the living creatures in love and joy and glory to fill the earth with their children. But God, having made them in his image, gives them true moral freedom. It's an incredible gift. And for that freedom to be real, there must be the possibility of real moral choice, of choosing evil. So God gave them a choice and one simple constraint. He forbade them to eat from the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, warning them it would bring death. One choice, everything else. They could do everything else. But one thing, the real place where they could choose 
He gave them moral freedom, and only where there's real freedom is there also the possibility of real, unforced, and reciprocated love. In other words, he didn't make us as robots forced to love him. He made us and invited us to love him and let us choose. Well, if you read the account in Genesis, first chapters of Genesis, you see what happens to our first ancestors. The devil figures there is the one who tempted them to believe lies about God and disobey him, but they choose it. They choose to disobey. They did not trust God's warning about death. You could say that they didn't know God very well. And so they didn't believe him. He is the source of truth, truth personified. And they didn't believe the truth. And so they ate the forbidden fruit, thinking it would make them wise like God. Instead, it brought personal acquaintance with evil into their hearts and with it death. Another way to think of it is like this. Before they disobeyed, they were connected to God, innocent, full of his glory and goodness. By rejecting obedience to him, really rejecting trust in him, they rejected him. The source of all goodness and love, the source of life. In fact, that's why they died. If you reject the source of life, what's going to happen? Death. So they die in the spirit. Their spirits die towards God. They're disconnected from him. And death begins to work its way out in their lives. In the decay of their bodies, in the moral emptiness they show, and worse than emptiness, the antipathy to, towards God that begins to define the human race. When they rejected God, they lost his presence. And they lost his power to be pure and good and loving. From just that brief examination of what happened to Adam and Eve because of their first disobedience, you can see all the evil consequences of their separation from God. The shame and guilt of the first couple, their fear, their desire to hide from God. They're blaming anyone but themselves. Well, the woman, how'd this happen? Well, he, may, he tempted me. He, he told me. And, and the man, why'd you do this? Well, she gave me the, it's her fault. Blame shifting, trying to avoid taking responsibility, their expulsion from the ideal garden, their children born into the same condition of alienation from God, which we see in Cain's murder of his brother, the city of violence Cain and his descendants build, the wickedness that increases on the earth as people live out their personal knowledge of good and evil. You know, you read up to the account of Noah and you see that God is so sad to see that people's thoughts are continually wicked all the time. He's sorry he even made them. But Noah finds favor in his eyes as a righteous man. Now, we can't really blame that first couple because we do the same thing. That's why it doesn't matter what form the forbidden tree took. The key point is the moral choice. Adam and Eve are archetypal examples of the entire human situation. We make the same choices ourselves when we go against what is right, when we hear God's spirit whisper in our conscience, don't do that. And we ignore him, giving into temptation all over again. 
eating the forbidden fruit of disobedience, compromising with evil, losing our innocence, experiencing guilt and shame, hiding and alienation. I'm afraid to tell mom and dad because what will happen if they find out? I'm afraid to talk to God. I better hide from him. Blame shifting and, and falling into some form of death, little or large, until actually we all wear out, right? Our bodies following where our spirits are, dead towards God and ultimately dead in the flesh. The Bible calls this condition sin. It's a word that means rebellion against God. All the evils humans commit against each other flow from this fundamental problem. We're estranged from God and trapped in slavery to sin. The problem of sin isn't just out there in the past or over there in some foreign country or across the street in our neighbor's house. It runs right through our own hearts. We're in this natural state of separation from God, and without His love in our hearts, our moral choices inevitably go sideways in some area. There's a void within us that calls out for God's presence, a yearning for the eternal. But in our slavery to sin, we are so lost, we even make idols of the good things God's given us. Worshiping and serving them, turning them into replacements for God if they could be, instead of turning to God Himself. It's not just people in foreign lands that have idols they worship. It's people right here who replace God with all kinds of things like money and power and sex and family and greed and all the host of things that people put in the place of God to try to fill that void. Now, Paul describes in Romans, which is his fullest presentation of the good news about Jesus, the effects of slavery to sin in very personal terms. Listen to what he says in Romans 7. We know that the law is spiritual. Now, he's talking about the Old Testament law. The description of right and wrong that's laid out in the law of Moses, which if you read, you can recognize most of those things are like super good. The way we're told how to treat one another and how to honor God. And... But Paul says, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate, I do. Has that ever happened to you? I find myself going back for one more bowl of ice cream. And I know, hey, if I eat too much of this, I'm going to pay for it. Where is my self-control? Lord, help me. <laughs> and that's just a tiny little example. Think of all the bigger things. What I don't I want to do, I end up doing. And what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good. I read the law of Moses. I recognize it describes right and wrong quite accurately. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it. It's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. Listen to this very carefully. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. Think of it like this. We're, we're like uh, a giant library meant to house all the books of God's goodness. But all those books have been removed because we've rejected God. The bare shelves are still there. We yearn 
for something to fill them, the right thing to fill them. But they're empty. They're empty of God's goodness. And so we can't come up with God's goodness out of our native self. Paul goes on, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. And if I do it, I don't want to do. It's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. He's kind of surfing above the question of where evil comes from. And there's a me that wants to be beyond that. And so he says, I find this work in me, although I want to do good. Evil's right there with me. For in, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. He, he knew what God had described to be right and wrong. And he thought, that's good. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. What a wretched man I am. And he talks about that one law that hooked him. He was pretty good in a lot of areas, but the one law that got him was that one that said, number 10, I think it's number 10, don't covet, don't envy anything, not your neighbor's wife, not his belongings, not his donkey, nothing. And Paul said, I, I heard that law and I couldn't help it. I saw the stuff my neighbor had and I wanted it. I coveted it. I envied. The law kicked sin into action. It showed what was really in my heart, not God, but sin. What a wretched man I am. And he asked this question, this big rhetorical question. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? And the answer comes. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen indeed. Now, what Paul describes here in this letter is our universal human situation. Separated from God, evil's right there with us. What a wretched, wretched situation. Who will rescue us? How do we get out of this, of having this problem of having evil in our hearts and not being able to change it? We're like a, a tiger whose stripes are just written right into their body. And we can't change those stripes. How do we get free of the stripes of evil? Jesus begins to give the answer in John 3. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn there. When, this is the famous night talk with Nicodemus when that religious man came to talk to Jesus at night because he was afraid of what the leaders would think if they found him talking to Jesus during the day. But he wanted to know how to get to heaven. That's what he really wanted to know. He wanted to know how to get reconnected to God. And he saw it in Jesus. He saw God in Jesus. And he was attracted to that. Now think about who Jesus is for a minute. Jesus resisted temptation to evil by answering it with the truth of God's word. If you know, you can read the temptation story at the beginning of most of the Gospels. He was able to completely resist temptation because evil did not have any place in him. It had nothing to hook on to. You could say he was righteously impatient with it, not interested. When the devil tempted him, he finally said, away from me. He was perfectly pure and loving through and through. And why? Because Jesus came from God. He came as God incarnate. It's actually one of the reasons we know he was God, because he was so morally perfect and pure and upright. Never was sin found in anything he did or said. So he was by nature God, 
and therefore by nature good. The condition Paul described where he said, I know that there's nothing good in me that is in my flesh. That was not Jesus' situation. He was natively good, a source of it, through his Father. We're not like that. We may not be interested in every form of sin and evil, but we're weak towards some temptation. Maybe like Paul, it's envy, or maybe it's something else. But how can we resist then and overcome those places where we are weak? How do we get the library books of God's love back onto the shelves, the empty shelves of our heart? Now, Jesus hints at it when he, in this famous talk to Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Uh, this is that famous born-again dialogue, right? What does it mean to be born again? Flesh gives birth to flesh. You in your natural power cannot get to the kingdom of heaven. Your flesh, your sinful nature, just produces more sinful nature. How can it ever raise you up to heaven? But Jesus says spirit gives birth to spirit. And in this conversation with Nicodemus, he tells Nicodemus how to be reborn in the Spirit. How to have the Spirit come alive again to God. How to get God back down into the human heart and spirit so that goodness is there again. Not our goodness. We couldn't come up with it. When we left Him, we didn't create it. We created a pale imitation of it in our knowledge of good and evil. But God's goodness, God's love that overcomes all the evil of the world. Jesus said, one can come in alive in the Spirit, no longer just flesh, by trusting Him. Listen to this. Here's what it says. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water in the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. And, and bear in mind, there was this tradition in Israel's history that there would be a new agreement with God that would come, that we would be empowered by the Spirit. A new agreement where God, the old way of the law didn't succeed in making people good. They saw it, they recognized it was good, but they couldn't be good. And, and so the prophets spoke about a new agreement with God where God would write his law in their hearts and minds, where they would want to do good because God was in them. That is what Jesus is talking about here when he says the spirit gives birth to spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but it, you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And Nicodemus asks, how's that possible? I don't get it. I'm paraphrasing here. And Jesus answered, you're Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? I'm speaking about what we know. You know, I've spoken to you about earthly things and, and, and if you don't understand them, how can you understand heavenly things? But now he, he explains how to be reborn in the Spirit. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man was one of Jesus' favorite ways of talking about himself. He liked to talk about himself in the third person sometimes. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now think about that metaphor for a minute. If you don't know it, there was a time when Israel sinned against God as they were wandering through the wilderness by complaining. He was providing for them, taking care of them, protecting them, but their response was not thanksgiving. It was complaining. And so, uh, to, uh, uh, in, in keeping with their bitter complaining, snakes came in and began to bite them and poison them, and people started dying. And Moses prays to God and asks for forgiveness and a, and a, a solution. And God says, put a snake on a pole, the, uh, an image of a snake on a pole, and hold it up high. And anybody who looks at that image will be healed from their snake bite. That seems kind of simple and maybe even a little silly. But to get free of the snake bite required trusting God, trusting what he said, and doing it. And so everybody who looked up at the snake, even if they got bit, the poison didn't hurt them. They were healed. And Jesus uses that as an illustration of what looking to him lifted up will do for you. Whoever believes, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up. That's what this symbol in our church means. Jesus lifted up on that cross and killed in our place, taking sin and death on himself to reconcile us to God, to move out of the way our rebellion, the source of evil that's native to us, to take it on himself. And so everyone who believes in him has eternal life. Yes, amen indeed. And so he goes on, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Now, there's a different destiny for those who won't believe, but for those who do, they're not condemned. That means they are not punished required to pay for, alienated from God any longer because Jesus took it on himself. He bore our sin in our place. And so the answer to how to deal with evil, not just out there, but eventually out there, but beginning in here, is to put your faith in Jesus. And he promised that everybody who puts their faith in him would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's presence, all those books of love, will be given to come back to be placed in our hearts again. And then out of God's presence from within us, we would start to want to do God's will. I noticed this in me when I put my faith in Jesus in my early 20s. And one of the things that had led me there in the first place, I, I've told you this before, was my awareness of the increasing evil of my own heart and my inability to stop it. I saw it happening. I saw my heart hardening in sin, but I didn't know what to do about it. But when I put my faith in Jesus and began to walk with him, he began to root that out of me and replace it with the power of God so that I stopped wanting to do the evil things that used to enslave me. The very same thing that Paul experienced when he said, woe is me, man, I am in trouble. What a wretched man I am. Who's going to save me from this body of sin and death? Jesus. Yeah. Amen. 
It's the truth. He is able to do for us what we could never do for ourselves because he's God. And by taking sin and death on himself, it's really God offering to take our place. The judgment he said to Adam and Eve, if you disobey and reject me, if you eat this forbidden fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, it's going to kill you. In his great love for us, he came in and took that death on himself. And so Christian faith involves simply putting your faith in that Jesus who went to the cross. Now, he didn't just stay on the cross. As God, death could not hold him down. That's right. He was vindicated as the true son of God because the father raised him from the dead three days later. In history, witnessed by skeptics, by people who didn't believe, by people who were scared, who thought it was all over, this whole messianic hope. And there he is in their midst. Hey, it's really me. I'm not just a ghost. Give me something to eat. Right? I'll prove to you. Here I am. Touch me. It's not somebody else. Put your hands in the wounds of my, my, my hands in my side that show I'm the one who hung on the cross. You know, when he rose again, he rose with a body that can never die again as the Lord of life who offers God's life to everybody who puts their faith in him. This is where the essential inner power to resist evil comes from. Being reunited with God who is good and who is love. Who is willing and desires out of that great love for us to share his presence with us. If we will receive him. If we will receive his son. John begins his, his, his gospel by saying, you know, his own rejected him. Speaking about the Jewish people back, back then. But those, most of the Jewish people, not all of them. But to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of human will. In other words, not just biological children, but children born of God's will. Children born of God's spirit. When you're born of God's spirit, you start to get sick of sin. You don't want to do it anymore. You recognize it for what it is, is evil. And the power of God begins to come. The same power that was in Jesus when he looked at the temptations the devil gave him and said, what? That's nonsense. That's baloney. That's... <laughs> you start getting there too. You know, how many people who have been addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, addicted to immoral sex, sex, addicted to greed, addicted to any number of things, they found Jesus and they stopped wanting that. They said, wow, that's rotten. Now I can see. But God's lifted me out of that, and he's filled me with his goodness and his love. Instead, that's right. Paul, who was a murderer, self-righteous son of a gun, you know, he, by the grace of God, recognized who Jesus was and received him and became the apostle of love who wrote the greatest chapter on love ever written. In 1 Corinthians 13. Hey, amen. And he shared God's love with us. Paul, the most prolific writer of the Gospels in the whole New Testament. Amen. So, Jesus came into the world as God made human. 
and took our suffering and sins on himself so sins hold over us would come to an end. By faith in Jesus Christ, you can be reconciled to God and restored to him so that you can receive God's goodness and love within what we were all built for as the human race made the image the almighty God who made the universe and all that is seen and unseen. That's what it means to be born of water and the Spirit. You know, the water might be baptism. It might just be a reference to the, like the first birth. But if you're not born in the Spirit, you can't get into heaven. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. But when you are joined to Christ in faith, you're saved. God's Holy Spirit comes to live within those who've received Him. And then we begin this lifelong journey of growing into the love and likeness of God. You know, I'm more now than I was. I found Jesus. It was amazing. Radical transformation. But boy, I had a lot of things to grow through. A lot of inner attitudes buried and squirreled away in my heart. A lot of evil books I had to clear off the shelves and give to God so that His love could replace them. And that's part of the walk of the Spirit as we continue to walk with God. We can do that because God's come back to live within us, within the heart and spirit, where He was always intended to live from the beginning. And that's in Him how you and I can overcome evil. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to Igniting Your Faith. Let God's Word empower your life with new growth that encourages everyone you meet. Igniting Your Faith is copyrighted and published by Dr. Chris Fisher and First Church, Schuylkill Haven, Pennsylvania. Special piano music played by Cindy McClelland. You can find more information about Dr. Chris Fisher this podcast and the church at our website, havenfirstumc.org. We hope you will join us again next week and let God ignite your faith.